welcome to Real Talk. Real Talk is about real conversations with real people regarding diversity in higher education. I am your co-host, Jamil Harp, a student activist. And I'm Casey Counselor, a professor in the Communication, Media, and Screen Studies Department at Southern Connecticut State University. All right, Jamil, let's go. Hello, welcome back, everyone. Thank you for coming back. And this is part two of diversity in higher education, being black in higher ed. And we are back with some students and we are so excited to have this upcoming conversation. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm really excited for this conversation. We already you know, have been talking with our guests, Ren and Antoine, really amazing folks. And so let's just, you know, let's get into it. So Antoine is a senior communication disorders major and Ren is a graduate student working in UAP. So with all this going on in our own lives while trying to maintain college, right? Trying to stay matriculated and graduate with these degrees and become successful folk afterwards. For college age students, there's so much happening in the world around us, right? We're looking at police brutality when we turn the TV on. We deal with these topics in our courses, and we are also seeing like lack of diversity in our coursework. And so there seems to be a switch where we turn from college students into almost social activists. And so I kind of want to get into like what's going on there, like with this switch into activism and what does that mean for you all? And we know Antoine just became an activist and here you are. That's why you're here with us talking with us today. So how did it, how how did you turn? How did it happen? Honestly, I don't know. Um, (laughs) It happened so quickly. um, And it felt like it happened out of like nowhere. Um, Because I had a friend who was very much into activism. I was like, that's your thing. I like have no idea what to say or how to like approach things. Like that just wasn't something I was, you know, used to. Um, in just the little time of me being here at Southern, I just noticed that things just weren't going the way I wanted to, to, you know, to go. And I guess specifically talking about my major communication disorders that, um, you know, I'm in a program that's predominantly for, you know, that presents to, you know, white women. Um, clearly I (laughs) am not, you know, a white woman, so that alone i kind of felt a little weird about even though you know most of our classes you know are on zoom and sometimes we're looking at black screens um you know you can just tell that there's not a lot of people that look like me um and i see that a lot with my professors and just based off my journey and everything that i went through i wanted to be this kind of like person that people can kind of look at and inspire to you know, be, you know, I, my thing is I want to inspire everyone that's like me, you know, black and brown folk to like, listen, do it, you can do it. And I felt like I needed to create some sort of platform or some space to create people like me to kind of come together and, you know, have these opinions that people sometimes tend to ignore. And that's kind of like what got me to being on this podcast and it's literally, literally this short time. Um, so it literally happened like overnight somehow. Well, I love that you're here with us. And I also really appreciate, I mean, people have this image, right, of, of activism and like maybe it's a, you know, it's usually being out in the streets with like a bullhorn, um, that kind of activist. 
But when I when I think about something like um, communication disorders and people who are speech pathologists, that's folks who are um, telling us how to speak, um, training us how to speak, quote unquote, correctly or incorrectly. Um, and that really matters, like who you are and where you come from. Um, there's a whole lot of things that could go wrong if you're only having white women in that profession. And you could talk about that more than more than I could, but that just shows like that's an area where you might not, when you first think activist, you might not think speech pathologist, but actually that can make an enormous impact in people's lives. So I, I really, I think it's helpful for folks to hear this bigger vision of what activism can be and how we can, it, it, it needs to be in every area of our lives, every area of our um, existence and what an important one and congratulations on becoming an activist. Ren, how about you? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know that I would even describe myself as a person who is an activist, just based mm -hmm. off of, yeah, I kind of think of activism as, you know, Angela Davis or something like that. And I'm nowhere near, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. I, that's, I that's think of that often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that's where I kind of trip up where I'm like, I'm not really making that much of a difference. And as far as, you know, hmm. what the things that I, you know, or what brought me to this place where <clears throat> I'd even feel comfortable coming on a diversity podcast, you know, my entire life, I grew up in predominantly white spaces, um, like, like many other people, but I went to private school, you know, as a child, like throughout my preschool, I started in Catholic school from the time I was like three and graduated from a Christian school in high school, you know, and then going to predominantly white college campuses. And if from like, there are a lot of things that I'm just now learning right now about myself um, mm -hmm. and about where I come from, the people that I come from and the experiences, the history, the trauma, different things like that. And partly one of the reasons why I don't necessarily call myself an activist is because I don't feel educated enough to be such. Hmm. But, um, you know, after this last summer, when things just started, where there were things that like, you knew, like, you know, about police brutality, like, you mm -hmm. know, about racism and discrimination, and you know, about all of those different things. But it's something about when you see it play out, like on camera, where it goes from just something I know to now it's something tangible. Now there's evidence, now there's proof. It's not just, well, maybe it was taken out of context. Maybe, you know, there's another side of the story that we don't know about. Maybe it's like, no, actually the entire story is being displayed on social media. And it was upsetting to me. It was uh, the last four years had been upsetting to me. And just the little, the every, every, every day, it felt like there was something different. And this last summer, it just got to be a point where I was like, all right, you know what? My white teachers, my white friends, my, you know, I have nothing against white people, but they didn't tell me these things. You know, we don't talk about these things because it makes them uncomfortable. And I've never grown. I grew up with um, a parent who's not from America and where racism isn't running rampant like it is here. Oh. And so I wasn't raised with this lens of looking at where can I find the racism in everyday, you know, actions. Like I was raised almost to act as though race wasn't, you know, a thing that every you had your few racists and we can't deny that. 
but it's not in everything. It doesn't show up in everything. And that's how I was raised. And it, it like it was just brought to my attention, as crazy as that sounds. A you know, a black person sitting here saying, I just I'm just now realizing these things. But better late than never. And it's kind of just like, wow, you know what? No. I switched from psychology to sociology because I'm like, I need to know more. I need to know more. I need to see, I need to read more. I need to, I need to learn more. I need to, you know, broaden my horizons, if you will, or broaden my scope of perspective, because there is a lot of different things that are happening right now. And everyone kind of just wants to gloss over it because that's what we've just always done. And that's more comfortable. Why rock the boat, right? When things seem to be perfectly fine for most that, and it's unfortunate that things aren't great for some. And I think we're starting to see that it's flip-flops. Things aren't great for most and it's kind of good for some and then really good for very, very little people. And so, yeah, that's kind of my, I mean, I'm still not, I'm not going to call myself. Yes, I'm Renee DaCosta, the <laughs> student activist. <laughs> I'm definitely not, you know, in that place yet to call me that. But give me a few years, maybe, you know, because. I was going to print you some business cards, no? <laughs> I, I, I felt that same hesitation to call myself an activist. Like, how is the work I'm doing, like, to the level that meets that term? But I don't, I never really thought about my activism my entire life until very recently when I was able to develop the terms to explain my lived experience, right? Like me being a black college student has given me the education to explain what has happened to me before, mm -hmm. to explain and be able to look back at experiences like, wow, this happened to me. Like how I was sharing with you guys, like I knew of police brutality, Right. I've had negative experiences with police, like being pulled over with my grandmother and two cops getting out the car. I'm eight years old and they're, you know, outside of my car door yelling at me and questioning me. But I'm a child. I just thought they were mean people, but mm -hmm. did not realize till the huge scope of how that's an ongoing issue for everyone, how it's so much bigger. And. I have been doing, I suppose, quote unquote, activism work since I was about 15. I have done hundreds of hours of community service in Bridgeport, where I'm from. Absolutely love the city. But for me, that was saving my life. Like activism was me saving my own life. It was me advocating for myself because no one else was advocating for me. But also while doing such, I was able to advocate for others. And so a lot of times I really wasn't able to view it as activism work just as work that needed to be done, work mm -hmm. that was just good work. And I think that coming through college, being at the end of this journey, I am able to look back and be like, oh, see, I can see how that's activism. I can see how that's advocating. I can see how that's community organizing. Or I can see like moments of my childhood was like, yes, that experience was deeply racist. Like, there's a reason why every time I walk in Target, I feel the need to take my hands out my jacket. Um, four years ago, I would have never been able to draw those connections together between my lived everyday experience and race and higher ed or race in this country as a whole until very recently. Yep. And I think, you know, that education, let's talk about, you know, what does this look like at Southern? Um, Renee, you talked about like, no, I'm going into sociology because I need to learn more about this. So how does this show up for you all 
at Southern. You've been to, you know, you've been at a lot of different institutions. How do you see activism looking on our campus? Even if activism or activist is kind of a, it's a word like feminist, that people may be doing activist work, feminist work, but then they're like, well, don't call me this, this term. But we're doing work to advance um, social change, whatever we call it. So what's that look like at Southern in your experiences? I mean, you know, I think for me, honestly, I came in as a transfer. So, you know, the first two years, I, I don't know. But since being here, I'm, I'm seeing more stuff now than I did when I first got here. You know, there's a lot. I think I think we're holding the university a lot more accountable with this branding of social justice university, um, where I think, you know, it was more of just like a title and it sounded really cool and attractive to get people on campus. But there's always, there still is, there's always, you always hear this, okay, but how, what are we doing? <laughs> like, how are we a social justice university? We're calling ourselves that, but where's the proof? Um, and I think now, I think we're seeing a lot more work being done because now it's like, okay, we're done asking, what are we doing? Like, I want to see it. I want to see what we're doing, which is great. There obviously is always, you know, room for improvement, but I know within soci sociology, it's a lot of good information, but maybe not taught by the right kind of people or have more having more variety within the faculty that are teaching these subjects surrounding race and gender and class and the intersectionality of that. Um, it'd be nice, you know, to have someone in the classroom. That's a way that the university could be activists, having someone in the, in the classroom teaching these really sensitive subjects with a lot of trauma and history, but with the representation of, you know, someone like me or, you know, someone mm -hmm. who's just not white, <laughs> anyone who's just not white um, would be, you know, nice, but yeah. That comes up in all of my classrooms. I mean, it came up in two different classes that I was teaching yesterday. And every conversation that that, that we all have as a, as a podcast group, this question of representation in faculty in particular, I don't think we can overstate how important that is. Yeah, I think all of us can relate to that, right? The lack of diversity in our courses, right? We have professors where we don't see ourselves in and we are just not represented in our faculty, right? And I think in many spaces, I've heard this throughout all different programs from different years. I was listening to other programs from alumni from the 80s, having the same problem of where are the people of color in the classroom, right? Where are the mentors for black students? And so I think this has been an ongoing issue for SCSU for quite some time, just like many other PWIs. But it's time to finally fix that issue and really put some commitment behind hiring and retaining faculty of color and giving them, you know, a route to tenure. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts on that within your own departments. Like, what are you seeing? Like, is there any shifts, any changes on that? I'm seeing nothing. Um. <laughs> Like, and I've only been here for, like I said, like a year. There's mm. nothing, nothing's happening. Um, and we're doing like little things and committees. And, you know, we hear this all the time. Like, you know, we're, we're fighting for change and this and that. But like, where's the change? How much fight mm. does it require for you to simply just incorporate some something? 
I guess in my program, like specifically, we're doing this like social justice thing where we're doing this whole seminar to educate, you know, the masses on um, inclusion and racism and how racism isn't necessarily someone that's dressed in a KKK, like get up anymore. Like that's not racism. And I think people like try to like utilize that a lot when they're like, oh, I'm not racist. Like, I, you know, I have my best friend's black. <laughs> and that's not necessarily something that determines your, you know, racism, you know? There's like systemic racism, there's systematic racism. And a lot of that applies with, you know, PWI's institutions where they cater to a lot of, you know, privileged white students and, you know, the black students who don't have as much, you know, support and understanding of, you know, college lack all of that, you know, resource that we could use, um, scholarships, all of that, you know, nothing of that is taught or talked about in my program specifically. All of my professors are like white. Um, there's no like black or brown professors. Um, there may be a few, a little sprinkle here and there, but a little razzle dazzle. <laughs> little razzle dazzle. A little razzle dazzle. <laughs> little sprinkle, you know, salt bay. That's but that's <laughs> that's it. And it's intimidating for someone like me who is of color who, you know, yeah. potentially wants to maybe work in higher education. And I'm just kind of like perplexed to me. Why is it that there aren't speech pathologists that look like me? And why isn't it that you can't hire them to, you know, teach us? Um, and we'll do lessons here and there that talk about dialect and, you know, cultural awareness and things like that. But it's coming from white teachers and mm -hmm. the class is full of white students. And sometimes I feel like I have to be that person like, uh, 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 no, that's not how it goes. Like that's not. Oh, I feel that. You know how things. Yes. Yeah, like you, you can't speak for me because you mm -hmm. don't have to walk around every day in my color, in my shoes, and that's a total different viewpoint in every aspect of life. Whether it's working in healthcare, which I see it a lot, in colleges, which I see it a lot. Like everyone is treated differently, and I think people try so hard to deny that, why, right. I have no idea. Um, and I just think that people don't wanna be left out. Like an example with the Black Lives Matter thing when everyone was like, no, all no, we're not saying that all lives don't matter. Just in this situation, Black lives are, you know, the main focal point to, you know, that being affected negatively by, like Jeanette was saying, police brutality, all of that. Um, and I think if schools kind of utilize that mindset that everyone is not the same and we don't all fit into this like bubble. And thank goodness. Think, also. Yeah, like we're not, we're not all the same. So stop treating us like we're the same person because we're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes down to equity. That's what I, that's what I was saying you're describing is equity, right? Not equality where we're all standing on the same level of shoebox where we're looking at individuals and saying, what do you need and giving you the correct number of shoeboxes? you know, that kind of equity. So I really feel you on those experiences. And also, especially in your program, if we don't have professors of color, how are we talking about like African-American vernacular English? How are we teaching that in the classroom? Especially mm -hmm. for people that will go out into the working world to help some of us with better speech. I had a speech therapist growing up. 
I don't know how much did I necessarily need one, but I had one for many, many years. I could not say my S's, um, but other You're than so that, good at it right now. thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, many yeah. years of practice. Perfect. Same here, same here. Yeah, I also had speech growing up too. Um, and I read something when I was taking my um, educational psychology course last semester, which was actually taught by a black professor. So thank God for that. Um, where I learned about African-American vernacular English and how back in the day, a lot of black and brown children were put in special education, mm. primarily because of African-American vernacular and then just assuming that there was something wrong. Like this dialect is not right. Like you're not speaking properly, like what's going on? Like we have to get you help. Let's put you in special ed. When in fact, they were actually speaking the language that they were hearing at home. You know, that African-American vernacular is what we hear when we're home. You know, we don't, we, it's, you know, it's not in proper English, which is a lot of what it's like categorized. And that's kind of where the Ebonics came from. Originally it was called Ebonics, which later turned to African-American vernacular because it was less, I guess, offensive. Um, and a lot of children, you know, being put in these categories were not getting the proper help because they were put in these categories of special education and you know needing more help when in fact they didn't. But now a lot of times now, children who need actual special education and speech aren't getting it because they don't have the resources and the funding to support that for certain schools. So now it's kind of flip-flopped and now things are not necessarily helping people of color, it's actually hurting them. And I think that's my big thing why I kind of got into speech and you know, what I want to focus on in grad school is like helping the community and going into communities and, you know, outsourcing opportunities for people to, you know, receive speech and early intervention and helping them when needed and not, you know, not offering them that is just going to hurt them in the long run. So definitely, you know, using my resources and my experiences and then, you know, taking that and going back into the community because it seems like we're forgotten again. Very much. I think it's very interesting because I, I've recently only learned the term um, AAVE. I've been speaking it my whole life, but never knew it was like a whole, <laughs> like syntax, grammar, all this good stuff had a whole formal title. And I find it very interesting. You see, especially on TikTok, you know, different phrases are now somehow popularized and trendy and they're like oh no like this is just tiktok slang it's just internet slang it's it's uneducated until it's popular right <laughs> like it is undesirable until somebody else takes it i find that extremely funny like we've been talking my grandmother talks like this i'm sure y'all grandmothers talk like that and we have to come into spaces and code switch how we naturally feel have to code switch to sound more professionalism our professionalism seems like it has to be almost surrounded in whiteness mm -hmm. like we have to like assimilate while we're in these meetings while we're in committee meetings while we're publicly speaking we can't speak how we speak naturally and if I get too excited, you know, it comes out. I start using habitual Bs and stays and maybe my words start to change a little differently. And I I know you all must have your experiences with code switching. I, I kind of want to talk more about that. And I'm curious too, like, how do y'all feel right now in terms of talking? Like, do you feel like you have to put on a, a particular, like, oh, we're a university podcast, like, so I better 
speak in a particular way. Like it happens kind of automatically, right? Yeah, no, I could definitely talk about that. Um, I constantly code switch mm -hmm. um, just to sound like my audience or whatever I think they want me to sound like. Mm -hmm. um, I do have, a, you know, times where I could be talking about something. And like Jamil said, I get really excited and I just I, I whip out something and everyone's looking at me like, oh, my God, she really just said that. Like it's 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 so hard to remember to do sometimes and yet so hard to for, like to stop because um i don't know about you know anyone else but i know for me it's always just this fear of how i'm going to be perceived if i speak whatever is comfortable so I, like i said i grew up in private school the students most of them actually were black or brown i didn't have a whole lot of white students ironically in school. Um, but our teachers and our administrative staff and everybody were white. And um, you're taught to speak a certain way. And then you speak that way all day. And then you go home and it's like, you can't turn it off. And then I have a family that will say things that are kind of ignorant, where it's just like, oh, she's trying to talk like she's white, you know, because she goes to that fancy school or something, or kids uh -huh. in the neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> Um, and it's like, oh shoot, like I should have turned that off when I came home, but, um, or even just being here at university, even just working here at the university and popping into meetings with other professional staff and feeling like I need to present myself in a certain way, because if I don't, then I fit the stereotype that they already think of me. Like, that's what I think about whenever I'm in spaces um, whether I have to, you know, code switch with my words or code switch with my behaviors. Um, it's, I don't want to act like that typical, you know, stereotype of a Black woman. Um, and so I'm going to act like what, you know, I see, you know, Sarah or, I don't know, Jessica or somebody over here, like acting a certain way to fit the prototype um, so that I don't get treated as though I'm unintelligent or I'm, you know, I don't know, like, it just, I don't want to be treated like the narrative. And it's hard. It's what it's so conflicting mm -hmm. to me because it's like, I don't want to have to fit your mold. I should be enough just being me. Yep. Um, and, but yet, you know, I feel this pressure to be someone else. And yeah, even on this podcast, mm -hmm. that's supposed be talking about not resisting right. that it's like we're supposed to be talking about no enough we're not doing this anymore I should be allowed to be just like you should be allowed to be everybody should just be themselves and you know the world would be a better place and yet I still have to think about what I'm going to say next so that I don't sound mm -hmm. ignorant so that I don't sound unintelligent that I don't sound uneducated and that I use my university words, my higher education lingo that I've learned in being as being a student. Um, and it's frustrating. Yeah. It's so frustrating, it's exhausting. And it's crazy to me how the term code switching is so brand new for a lot of people. Um, I've sat in like talks um, for work, uh, whether it's here or other jobs that I've had where we the topic is about code switching and what that is and what that looks like and how that could be from the way I talk to the to the hairstyle that I very have. much um, <laughs> right mm -hmm. and and how I change who I am 
to get a job, you know, to get a seat in the classroom, to be taken seriously. Um, and how there are people who don't experience code switching, who don't have to do code switching, who can show up to class in pajamas. Yes, and please talk about that. Yes, <laughs> coming out of Engelman's side in pajamas. Some of us can be our right. most authentic selves. Yes. Right, you could just come to class looking, I'm sorry, but greasy. <laughs> and I can't do that. <laughs> we can't, we can't. I'm glad you said that. We do not have the luxury of showing up to these spaces being that authentic. We we just cannot. No. Because it's okay. It's okay for them. My I'm like my best friend. She wears her hair in, naturally now, but throughout high school, she used to wear, you know, extensions and different things to put it straight because she'd get written up for her hair not being done because it was in like a natural style. Yet she'd be sitting, you know, next to someone in class with a messy bun, flyaways, all this different stuff, look like they didn't brush their teeth, wash their face, and they don't get written up because what? <laughs> because what? Why aren't you getting written up? But I, anybody with natural hair knows that is not a, I woke up like this type of look. That takes a lot of work mm -hmm. to perfect you know, your curls, your, you know, whatever consistency you have, whatever style you're trying to achieve, that's a, that's a workout. That's an effort. That's a paycheck. That's a lot. Like it's, it's a lot to maintain. And you're going to tell me to my face that, oh, you didn't do your hair. So you're going to get a dress code violation. Um, and so to me, like this code switching thing, that is so something as wearing extensions in my hair. And there's a whole, you know, population of people that don't understand what that even is. I'm glad you guys brought that up because there's so there's just, it's like this new phenomenon. It's not new. It's not a phenomenon. This has been happening for a very, very long time from the moment that I can remember. And for a lot of people that look like me can remember as well. I mean, I'm getting the validation from my fellow people of color on this call. That was good. That yeah. was good. And Anton, you know, folks who are listening, they can't see your face, but you are you are giving a lot of affirmation right now. Yeah. <laughs> um cold switching that. <laughs> I I do it every day at work. So I, you know, have to have this persona that I'm just like, I know it all. And I don't, I really don't. And I do get patients that come in and I, they see my face and they see that I'm black and I'm sure they have this, you know, thing going for them. Like, oh, he's probably not educated and da, da, da. And I'm like, oh baby, I have some degrees. I'm getting another degree. You know, I have to, you know, in that process, I'm also like changing my, my voice, my tone. And I sound more light and airy and not so, you know, quote unquote, ratchet, because that's that's the that's the new word now. It's not ghetto, it's ratchet. You know, you don't want to be too ratchet. You don't want to be too ghetto for the people. And in that space, I feel like I have to put on this, you know, this mask, this facade, just so that I am not looked at as, you know, this, you know, the black guy or the one that's not educated. And it's exhausting. I compare it to if you all seen the movie The Wiz, loved mm. it. You know, when they're all at the end and they're like stripping out of their suits and they're coming out. Like that's what I feel like at the end of the day when I'm leaving work. Like I feel like I have to take off this like whole get up that I have to stay in for eight hours Monday through Friday so that I'm looked at as, you know, a person of society that's not 
you know, some hoodlum or, you know, some thug that, you know, people love to stigmatize us as. I've been thinking of this and because co-switching all lies and like racial biases of the folks that we are just trying to share space with. And I have really starting to decide that I'm not co-switching in certain places. I'm just not. I will be showing up as my authentic self because my peers can show up as their authentic selves. Right. And if someone views me less than for doing so, that is not an issue of mine It is now an issue of theirs. And so I'm trying to make the the radical change of being like, no, I'm showing up as me because what I have really noticed and I have thought about really hard and I have looked on TV every day when I open the news, it doesn't matter if I have a suit on or like a Southern T-shirt. People don't care that I went to Southern, that I have a degree. Like, I may always be viewed as a threat for the rest of my life. No matter how sweet I talk, how nice I am, how courteous, how non-threatening I might look. The minute I put a little bass in my voice in a meeting and I was like, oh, what's going on? So for me, I'm not co-switching. It kind of just is what it is. Um, I'm sure co-switching, like, I white supremacy just, like, impacts your professionalism so much. I'm trying to be like mindful of that. And I'm trying to really step away and find my own professionalism without the pressure of whiteness. What does my professionalism look like without the pressure of whiteness? How do I want to be? How do I want to exist as a professional in these spaces? How can I be my authentic self, but also be professional is something I think about here and there. And when you do that, you create, like you say, like a lot more space for other people to also be their authentic selves. And I think that's one of the main, um, well, one of the important points about having faculty representation is that if you have somebody who is like you, who sees you for who you you are, um, who shares some part of your experience, and you'll have many faculty members, you know, while you're a college student, but if when you're in that space, that you don't have to do you don't have to code switch in the same way. You don't have to put on all of this extra labor. You don't have to like pause the class and from your position as a student, educate uh, your teacher and your your classmates, which is not your job, also extra labor. Um, and it just seems like it takes all the a lot of the pressure off. So that too, I mean, I, I we've talked about it. I think every, this is our third episode. We talk about it every episode. We'll probably continue to talk about it every episode. Um, But what we also are like, can you even imagine what that would be like to have um, at least the number of black faculty as we have black students? Can you imagine what that would feel like to be on campus if it were like that? A better place, only a better place, (laughs) because right now it's not it. And like you were saying, Casey, I feel like sometimes with my professors, I have to put on its tone. Even sometimes when I have to like correct them in situations or something with an exam, I feel like I always have to kind of like watch the way I say things in an email so I don't come off as this like aggressive, angry black man. So sometimes adding little cutesy words in there, like sometimes even apologizing for something I didn't even mistake, like mistakenly Mm -hmm. do. Like, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, I caused you to, you know, mark something wrong on my exam. Like I apologize for that. Mm And I feel like we have to do that a lot, especially as a Black student, because mm-hmm. a lot of our, perce- 
uh, I can't even speak. I need speech. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our professors are, you know, white. So yeah. we don't want to come off as, you know, this angry black man. And I think having professors that look like us will make us feel more comfortable to be able to come to them about certain issues and situations where, you know, we don't want to look at, be looked at as like a dumb student or a student that's not paying attention to our white professors when in fact if you had black professors we might feel more comfortable to come to them about something or you know voice a concern that we may be feeling um just because we feel naturally that they'll be able to accept it more than someone that wouldn't understand our situations yeah i'd have to agree with that too i am not i'm relatively new to sociology but having been in psych i mean you already know Psych is not diverse at all. I think there's like maybe one person of color and I don't know that that person identifies as that because if you look at the person, you can't tell. Um, and that I think, you know, the points that Antoine made are entirely a hundred percent on point. Um, I also think, you know, it'd be helpful even just in, well, in communication disorders, but also in psych where you're studying to work in a field where you're going to be working with a diverse population of people. Yes. Um, to be able to learn how to interact with other people like you or that's different. So it'd be, it would be beneficial for us as Black students, yeah, but it would be really beneficial for white students because you'd get to, for sure. for one, to see a Black person in a position of power within a classroom. So no, we're not all stupid. No, we're not all unintelligent. No, we don't all fit that stereotype because look at this black professor running this classroom has a PhD is, is successful. And um, that's important for people to see, to cancel out this false narrative that needed to be canceled out from the time it started. But, you know, it also lets you, like if I had a black psychology professor um, teaching me about abnormal psych or teaching me about child psych or teaching me about any sort of avenue within psychology. When you think about patients that you're going to see, I've seen a therapist before. I have never yeah. had a black therapist, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had maybe, I've had two therapists so far in my lifetime. They were both white women um, and they were great, but it's also like, you're unable to see things from my perspective. Yeah. Like, so any other, you know, I'm telling you um, whatever my issue is, why I'm seeking out therapy to begin with, whatever it is that I want to talk to you about, I'm telling you that. But there could, there's a unique lens that I have. There's a unique experience that I have that a white woman or white man is not going to have or a black man for that instance as well. So, you know, I think that's important to have that representation of black, of Latino, of you know, Asian of of all the different types, not just white, because mm -hmm. um, that's not the only type of people you're going to be, um, you know, dealing with. So, yeah. I mean, I can say uh, I recently started going to therapy and having a queer therapist makes all the difference because I know if I'm talking to somebody else, then they're going to, anything I'm bringing to the table, they're going to say, well, you know, that probably goes back to your trans issues and that probably goes back to your childhood. And actually, a lot of it doesn't, a lot of it comes from other places. And so having um, someone, especially in a, you know, a therapist, mental health, teacher, mentor position, somebody who knows you well enough to be able to see you and then you can skip all that other stuff, all that extra work, 
to educate them to be able to help you. Um, it's just, I feel I'm, I have no power to do this, but I'd like to give you all honorary degrees for all of that extra work and, and significant amount of, I mean, just the way you're able to pay attention to all of these nuances of communication in order to be able to just navigate the world um, as black people and black students. Um, that takes a lot. It takes a lot. And I would think it's worthy of an honorary degree. So I'm just saying. Okay. I'll take care. I want one too, since we getting degrees. I would like one as well. Yeah, I want one. Mm -hmm. um, Casey, every time you ask that question, I think of a different answer. Like every episode, I think of a different answer. And right now I'm thinking about how beautiful and how lively Southern would feel if we mm. had correct representation, not just in faculty, but in you know, throughout the divisions. Sure. Um, throughout all staffs, if we had that representation. And I'm thinking about some of the greatest moments when SCSU is alive, where the campus feels lively, it feels homely, and it's typically around Black events. It's typically mm -hmm. been events by the Multicultural Center are thrown, when we have Heritage yep. Night, when we have all of our Black students standing outside the Beauty Library playing music. People are joining us. The sun's shining. Mm -hmm. We're taking oh. photos together. That is when SCSU feels alive, when we're all yes. together and we are we feel like we belong, when mm -hmm. we feel like we can call SCSU home. And so if we could have that same feeling that we can have with each other Black students, and if you're a black student, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if we can have that experience in the classroom with our professors, that is mm -hmm. like, that is mind opening, right? Like if I can show up to my courses and see someone that looks like me, that's a different level of connection. And I can only imagine how more magical the campus would be. Because not only would they be teaching classes, they would be participating in community events. They would become a part of the SCSU family. And I think we'd be so much better for it. And like you were talking about, Renee, it's not just Black students that would benefit. All students would benefit. Regardless of your major, um, you need to understand diversity in your workplace, in your workplace. So that's kind of what came to mind this episode. Hmm. Yeah, I've been, you know, especially as the weather's starting to get warmer, like thinking back to, you know, Thursday, Friday afternoons, you know, DJ playing outside, it's all sunny, everyone hanging out. That is when campus feels most vibrant. Absolutely. And what if it was like that, you know, in the classroom and in, in every space? It would be a space where everyone is thriving. Not to say that anybody would stop thriving who already is, but to just expand. Like we, we're not really thriving as a university unless we're all thriving. Great. It's real bland right now, not seasoned <laughs> at all. And I don't like it. <laughs> I've heard people, I've heard people more than once talk about Southern as the HBCU, the historically black college university of Connecticut. What do you say to that? We could have potential. We could, mm, we could, we not we could. we're not there. No, we're not there, yeah. but we, there you are. Um, I, that, that comment always makes folks that go to HBCU so mad. <laughs> that comment always does. I would say, you know, SCSU could never be an HBCU, um, HBCU for obvious reasons, but there's a lot of spaces on campus that does feel very black, that feel very HBCU energy. You could see that energy at 
homecoming. You can see that energy in certain spaces and certain rooms on campus. It does feel very much inclusive of Black voices. Certain departments are very inclusive of Black voices, and then others are just not. And so I think at Southern, Black students have found, created, and upkept spaces where we can be safe ourselves, loved, support each other. We have those spaces because we created them and we upkeep them. But for other spaces, that's just not the reality. Yeah, and there's, you know, that's the thing. I mean, in each time you said that, it's there's certain spaces, there are specific spaces, right? Where, you know, but it's siloed. They're over here. <laughs> All those spaces exist in, you know, one box. Um, they're not scattered throughout the university. And that's the issue. That's the issue that I think we as students are seeing. Um, and I, you know, I think that the university, the powers that be, whomever those may be, need to kind of not just rely on students to create those spaces because ultimately, yes, we have power, but they can have, they can, you know, they can make things happen at a faster rate, most likely than we can. <laughs> so, you know, if we as students who don't have doctoral degrees, who don't mm -hmm. have directors, who haven't been working in Southern for 30 plus years, can see these things after four or two or one year of being on campus, right? Um, then the powers that be certainly can pick up on those things as well and make change happen. It's a matter of, you know, do they want to? Yep, and it should be, it should be shocking at this point to, to, to find spaces to, you know, and I, again, I keep talking about faculty, you know, but it should be shocking that we have departments that are all white in 2021. You know, we're not an all white university in terms of students. So that should be shocking. And then I also do want to point out, you know, we keep talking about this underrepresentation and we have amazing black faculty members on campus we do. who are also dealing with all the same stuff that y'all are talking about just on that faculty level with the code switching, um, all of those struggles. We had Dr. Evans on last week talking a little bit about that. Um, and then also mentoring students and being, you know, underrepresented. So they're taking on this huge extra labor um, and so I just imagine, you know, what would it be like really, if we can spread that out, you know, have not have one person have the burden of being the only one to represent, you know, a whole race of people, um, and all that that entails. So we should, Jamel, we should probably, we could talk all day, but we probably <laughs> should wrap it up. Yeah, we probably should. And I say, let's wrap it up like this. Um, mm, I would say... This podcast is no different from most events happening in terms of social justice on campus. There's so many good events, so many good panel discussions. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the things that are being said by our wonderful and amazing guests, current and to come, will not be the first time I'm sure many of our listeners have heard these ideas, these experiences, and these thoughts. But what I will say to our listeners is these should be calls of action, right? These should be calls of action if you are a faculty to make your, ensure mm -hmm. your classroom is inclusive, to help out the other faculty in your department, to make sure that people of color can lean on, so you can you know, trust you, they can feel supportive with you. If you are a student, these should be calls of action to rally with your Black students, to support your Black students, to make the residence halls feel inclusive, to make the classrooms mm -hmm. feel exclusive. We all play a role. 
we are the powers that be. It's all of us. And so if we all play a role consciously and do not wait for someone else to play it for us, then we can wake up tomorrow and SESU can be this magical place that we all want it to be. And so that is what I would say, ending that off. Jamil for president. <laughs> that was like such a stump speech right there. That is finger snaps worthy. I know. How is anyone supposed to say anything after that? I don't know. I'm just going to say something. Right. Mm. You're supposed to just say good night. <laughs> okay, Z. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, well, well, thank you for our podcast team. Thank you to our guests. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you. And this is like, we're so good at identifying problems. Um, but I think telling these stories and continuing these conversations does help push action towards solutions. Like we know these problems are here. Like, so now what are we going to, what are we going to do? So thank the two of you. I'm going to call you activists. I'm also going to give you honorary degrees. Um, and just say thanks so much for sharing your, your time, your space, your stories, your spirits with us. Very fun. And like Jim, I was saying, um, if the space is not there for you, create it. Like yes. there's no problem with you voicing your opinion and saying like, listen, I'm not really liking the way this is going. So I'm going to change some things. And that's okay. Like it's okay to create that seat at the table that they don't have for you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's okay. Like, oh, it's not a seat for me. I'm going to create my own. <laughs> like we need that. We need more people like that. Yeah. And the more of us who are stepping out and being, you know, forward available here you know if you're feeling nervous about stepping out in any kind of way know that we're already out here and and we'll back you up all right well i think that's our podcast i Yay. think so